G'day and welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast, mainly for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday, and listening to this show helps you explore ways to become the best version of yourself at work as a manager. Each episode, you'll hear from some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share your passion to elevate and transform team culture. They share insights in self-leadership and leading others. Together, we can make workplace culture better. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. Annalie Blundell is on a mission to humanise the leadership landscape and change the way we see each other. Known affectionately as the professional people whisperer, Annalie is co-author of several books on shifting human behaviour, including Developing Direct Reports, Taking the Guesswork Out of Leading Leaders, providing a reference guide for developing leadership performance on the job. Awarded L&D Professional of the Year 2021 from the Australian Institute of Training and Development. Welcome, Annalie Blundell. Thank you very much, Nina. I'm very excited to be here. Now, just before we get started, I'm really impressed that you were named the L&D Professional of the Year by Australia's peak training and development organisation that I've been a member of since the year dot, the Australian Institute of Training and Development. Congratulations. And what did you have to do to win that? Because you'd have to be top of your game to get top <laughs> L&D professional. Right. Which you are. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nina. Yes. Um, well, <laughs> to the question, what did I have to do? My goodness, I can tell you hand on heart, this is no Mickey Mouse award. You know, they are not giving these out like Tic Tacs. The submission I had to do, the hoops I went through, the validation of all the material I put in, the um, help I got from my clients to put my submission in was thorough. It was huge. It was a huge exercise. So uh, I'm really proud. I'm really proud of the award. Um, I'm really proud of the recognition from clients you know I use I got to use a lot of case studies which was wonderful and it really came off the back of what I was doing when COVID started you know and it was how am I supporting my profession how am I supporting my clients and it was the sorts of things that I was doing like I'm sure you were doing recording videos doing whatever I could to provide my services however clients could access them in the moment so we could keep everybody afloat. And you also write in your book which, that performance management is broken. So let's start there. What's the problem? What's the biggest problem? Yeah, let's start there. <laughs> so the book, Developing Direct Reports, I mean, we wrote this because we wanted to be able to help our leaders lead other leaders. Yeah. And part of the requirement to develop other people is to know what's working, what's not working. You know, you need to be able to understand and discuss gaps um, and one of the things we know is the traditional, the traditional approach to performance management, and I don't just mean performance management as in you're doing something wrong and you're out. We're talking about managing the development of performance, your day-to-day -day growth and development, which is hugely important now more than ever. What we know is that the model is broken. You know, if you're lucky, part of the development process will be monthly conversations, you know, not about your day-to-day -day work, but about your career and your skills, you know, growth and all that kind of stuff. But even that you're lucky to get, to be honest. And what we know is most effective when it comes to growing and developing and building skills is immediate feedback. 
you know, and I, and I, right. And I'm saving about, it up. <laughs> why, why do you save it up for a month? And that's the best case, you know, Nina, you know, this mm. worst case is you do it once a year when you're forced to, when the pay is on the line, right? Annual performance reviews. Shoot me now. That never works. It is, it is a horror show. Right. <laughs> So it's mind blowing. And particularly if you put it in light of the way I, I always think about it through the analogy of sports, right? So you think about sports performance, elite sports teams. Imagine, imagine I'm from Melbourne, right? We're all footy mad. I'm not, but we're all here in, a, in Melbourne, in Victoria, footy mad, apparently. So I just think what would happen if after every AFL game or NRL game or whatever sport you Can I just say with all the people from outside of Australia talking, uh, (laughs) listening, uh, footy is football. Yes. Uh, In Melbourne, it's a huge football city. They play Australian rules. NRL is National Rugby League, which is another game. And what did you say? What was the other one? AFL. Australian Football League, yes. which is Australian rules or Aussie rules. So there's yes. your little football lesson, well, everybody. Whether you, and whether you're tuning in from Europe and it's actually actually football, as in soccer, it doesn't matter what game we're playing. The idea is you play a match, you get feedback straight away. You do not wait for the next month to get that feedback. Can you imagine the absurdity? Mm. And, and it's the same for performance. You know, the, the real opportunity for leaders is to do the most amount of targeted and impactful development on the job, the immediate, as soon on as On the happens, day. On the day, in the moment. Yes, yes. Now, I would suggest there is great power in affirmative feedback and people underestimate the value of shining a light on what's already working. So you think about the power of, you know, we always we think about feedback that has to be critical or constructive or, you know, something out of the Correcting box. Correcting a mistake. Correcting a mistake, exactly. And I would say, yes, that's part of it, but so is the supportive part. And imagine the power someone's, you know, speaking up in a meeting for the first time or they're running the agenda or they're chairing the meeting and you walk out and you're walking to the next meeting together and you just lean across and you say, great job. I especially loved the way you X. It was really powerful when you Y. That person now has a clear roadmap for what they did well and a motivational hit for repeating that behavior. Boom. That is in the moment, on the job. Boom. I love it. And you're so right. And I can't remember any boss before, uh, before in any job that I was ever in that really took that on board you know I got the occasional bit of praise but it was the old you're just being paid to do the job you're paid to do and if you do a good job well you're that's what you're being paid to do it's like this lack of gratitude lack of appreciation but anyway I think are times changing that's my question and I think also you know it's a it's a lack of understanding about psychology you know, you would have heard of the Pygmalion effect, right? So people rise to the elevated expectations we have of them. Or it's opposite, the Gollum effect. You know, we shrink to the lowered expectations people have of us. So if you expect the best in someone, you reaffirm the best in someone, guess what they are going to bring every day to work? They will bring the best of themselves because you expect it, you see it, and you call it forth from them. Simple. What I used to do when I had about, oh, the, at my peak, it, I, we had about 10 people. I had about five people generally for many years. 
I got into the habit of asking myself when I was doing my own task, who else could do this? And occasionally, I wouldn't do it with every single task, but at least once a day, I'd, I'd find something on my list and go, who else could do this? And I remember I, I'd engaged this woman as a telephone follow-up person. And I went, well, and it was to do with contracts and doing the financial summaries before we sent an invoice. And my, the one voice in my head said, oh, no, you couldn't give it to her. And the other voice said, well, you don't know till you try. You don't really know what her background was. I mean... I, I was in the habit of employing women who were returning to work after having had children. And a lot of them had had mm. far greater expertise than the role that I was able to give them because they'd come from big organisations. So anyway, I gave it to her and I did this thing called four eyes control, which was you prepare it, I check it, and then I send it. And honestly, mm. I freed up hours every week because I got over the, oh, only I can do that. Not only I can check that, but I can certainly delegate that. And she loved being her capability being being elevated. So yeah. you're absolutely right. So is that something that you think managers could do more of? So, uh, assign more of their their tasks, but not even tasks, but even projects, so that people feel as if they've got a beginning, middle, and end, and, and ownership of it. Absolutely. And, you know, part of the thing we talk about in the book is, you know, why should you be developing the performance of others? You know, why should you be delegating? <laughs> why give away stuff and, and, and um, give people more to do uh, to stretch and develop them? And, you know, of course, the, the, the rise of the solo leader is dead. You know, if you think it takes one grand leader at the top of the organization, you've missed the boat and you, you know, you, you've sort of you're going to be left behind. We need leaders at all level. I know that you you really talk about self-leadership and that's something that we talk about in the book because it's around making sure that we are equipping every individual at whatever level they are to lead themselves. You know, it may be that, you know, we come together in a project group and our leader emerges and we disband and we come together in another working group and another leader emerges and we disband. So we have to be able to step into our leadership. So it's the demise of the solo leader. It's the rise of the, you know, momentary leader. And in order to cultivate those skills, we need a targeted development approach. We don't just go one size fits all. Everyone go to the classroom. You all get this stuff. Well, we don't know what people need until we see them work. You don't know what those women that worked for you needed until you saw what they were capable of. Then you can do direct and targeted development. And one of the things about teamwork is the ability to pitch in and help out and, and commit yourself to the team results. But you see, I've had people talk to me about their own experience as a manager where they invited someone to actually do a task that was a manager's task mm -hmm. that went, well, that's not in my job description. I mean, how do you cope with people who have that attitude? Yikes. Is, yeah. that, is, that, the, <laughs> is that the pitfall of job descriptions? <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, I, I do a lot of work with women and we talk about boundaries all the time, right? So we know that women are 40% more likely to be volunteered for non-promotable work or the office housework, as it were. So, you know, this conversation is very um, front of mind for a lot of women who are struggling with too much work. And to be fair, we've all got too much work, but women mostly have too much 
invisible work, right? Non well, I'm not talking work. about they were asked to go out and get the coffee. Yes. Right? That, we're talking that, about a responsible uh, right. project-based uh, activity that the manager would ordinarily do, but they were so busy on another project, they asked for help. Yeah. And this is the this is the distinction you make. So it's it's about knowing your boundaries and being able to say, actually, that's not my job. I'll do it now, but let's move it around. Let's all get coffee at different times. So yes, do that. But if it's about forwarding your career, if it's about building extra skills, if it's about managing perceptions up, sending the right signals around your brand and about what you want, you know, next in the organization, in the role, then, it, then it's a, you say, yes, please. Thank you, please. And what else, please? <laughs> exactly. If, you, if you've got any ambition to be promoted yeah. or to even keep your job, Yes. Because I think that was a career limiting response, quite frankly. I agree with you. (laughs) I was pretty shocked to hear that. But anyway, it it, it does happen because some people just don't don't have uh, they don't want to bring discretionary effort to the role. But they were obviously part of the actively disengaged. Yes. And Nina, there are some things that I have never been able to explain. We know human behavior is so. interesting and complicated i i remember having once interviewing someone for a customer service role who i'm not kidding you i'm not kidding you said to me i said you know what's the worst part of your day oh customers they're always in my face they're always demanding stuff i'm you know they're always making me busy customers they're so annoying and i, <laughs> I said you do realize this is a customer service role right well guess what you ain't getting this job <laughs> This was an interview to get it was a job. An interview. An interview. That's what they she couldn't that even was lie in the interview. <laughs> there is oh, well, no just as well. Just as well you found out early. Now yeah. you talk about in your book about new thinking required to develop individual contributors. Tell us about this new thinking. Part of the new thinking is understanding where learning and development comes from. It's really easy to think that if we want to develop someone or teach them something, that we send them to a course or HR does it or someone else is responsible for that activity. And it's confusing because we have HR departments. We have L&D departments, learning and development departments. We have wonderful in-house training programs. Every year in the annual conversation, we talk about what's your training plan. And so it's very easy for managers to fall into the trap of thinking, oh, development and growth happens outside of the day-to-day because we have courses for it. Mm. Now, I would argue that is supplement too, but it is nowhere near a replacement for day-to-day on-the-job development. So the new thinking that was required is it's not something that gets outsourced. It's something that's in addition to the most important part of training, which is on-the-job targeted development. Okay, so how would you do a targeted development plan for one of your direct reports? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sit down, we talk about what the business needs going forward. We talk about where they wanted to develop going forward. I want to make sure there's an alignment between those. 
And then we would look at where are you now and where do you need to be? What courses, yes, could we supplement the training for you to do that? So yes, we can send you on this course. And then I'd look at what do I as a manager know is coming up? What programs are coming up? What projects of work are coming up? What can I do to provide stretch opportunities that are in line with this person's development program? You're absolutely right. Building capability is providing stretch opportunities and the person being invited to accept that stretch opportunity, embracing it with a light heart and with an expectation that it's good to learn something new. It's good to try something new. Is that, that's, that's the holy grail, isn't it? That's yeah, the ideal. Is. Yeah, and, you know, the idea of confidence comes up a lot. You know, I'm, yeah. I, am I ready yet? Am I ready for that role? And my response is always, if you're 40% ready, you're good to go. If you're yeah. waiting for your 100% ready, it's too late. There is no growth left in that opportunity because you're confident, you're competent, you know it all. So it actually defies the idea of growing and developing. You should feel uncertain. You should feel stretched. You should feel worried because it means you're in the learning zone. And of course, there's this old imposter syndrome that's rearing its ugly head. I just saw a headline, 95%, was it women or of all workers, um, have imposter syndrome. And I'm here to say there are times when I have it too, depending on what I'm comparing it to. I don't think it's imposter syndrome. I think it's human striving syndrome. And yes, it was women. 95% of women was a study. And I do a lot of executive coaching. And I can tell you right now, it is as much men as it is women. Men just don't talk about it right. to the same extent that women do. But I can tell you, bet your bottom dollar, they experience it nevertheless. And then at the other end of the continuum from imposter syndrome or what did you, what was, what did you call it again? Uh, human striving syndrome. That's it, human striving. <laughs> I love. I love the reframe. At the other end is the Dunning Kruger effect, where people have an overblown expectation about their capabilities, and it's lacking. That, that, that these are the people that I bother to to train up or to read up, or they just think I know it all. So yeah. I don't know. In fact, they are one of the 12 globally recognised leadership derailers in the book, right? So developing direct reports, we worked really hard at looking at what are some of the main uh, behaviours that derail your leadership career? And, you know, each of the derailers has a persona, if you like. Yes, that is the book. Brilliant. Yes, yes. And I, I, we... I had, I opened up at this page with all the derailers and it was yes. very interesting. I'll, I'll tell you something. Poker face was interesting. I had the CEO of a of a huge global accounting firm come to my speed reading course when we had public courses, and honestly, I thought he must be hating it. He must really hate <laughs> it because he was completely poker face the entire time through. And I went, I guess what happened? That's what happens when you're CEO of a global multinational. He loved it. Apparently, he said everybody should do it. <laughs> Yeah, and Nina, this is brilliant. So Poker Face is one of the 12 leadership derailers, one of the personalities. And the reason it, it's, it catches people out so much is because what we're really looking at here is two communication types. One is a neutral communicator. 
no facial expressions, no hand gestures, as opposed to an, what we call an affective communicator. Affect in psychological term is around emotion, emoting. So affective, emotive, right? So nonverbal cues, eye, eyebrows and all that jazz. And so when you've got someone who does not display the nonverbal cues to give you a sense of where you're at in the flow of conversation, what happens is people start judging how the conversation is going in a negative way. Absolutely. In fact, I decided well, he hated it. <laughs> and that's a perfect example. So when faced with a neutral expression, the brain encodes that as a mm. negative expression. Mm. So you're sitting there as a trainer and we've all had this. We've, we've mm. had the one person who's absolutely loving it but forgets to tell their face and we're thinking, we're bombing, this is awful, abort mission, maybe I shouldn't have done this. And then they, they fill in that feedback form or they come up to you afterwards glowing with praise and you think is this the same person it's bizarre <laughs> as 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 workplace for trainers and facilitators we've all had that experience so you're absolutely right now the uh, which one is the most common do you think there are 12 types which do you think is the most common for me it's a tie it's a tie yeah. i think from a human perspective the most common is conflict avoider and that is oh. because as a human species we are socialized to belong, to sort for harmony, to want to be liked. It was our survival mechanism from, you know, when the earth began and it's really hard to break that pattern. And so not wanting to ruffle feathers, not wanting to give difficult feedback or have hard conversations is really part of our DNA because it goes against our survival instincts. In fact, there's some research from, um, you know, are you okay day? They've yes. done some research here in Australia. It's, are you okay? The day we ask everybody about their mental health, are you okay? And they did a workplace uh, survey a while ago, which showed that 46% of people would rather leave their job than have a difficult conversation with someone they work with. So if that doesn't... I, I, look, I look back, I, I'm here to say, I confess up and say, I was a very poor manager for the first 10 years of my business. Luckily, I've been a few decades in business and I learned the error of my ways. So now I'm here to say that when I had a demotivated person who, and we didn't, we changed her job anyway, I went, you know what, we don't, the job we hired her for, um, why don't I just get rid of her job altogether? I could, I, this was a perfectly capable human that all I had to do was really sit down and have a conversation. But instead, I really was annoyed the fact that she was interrupting the person next to her with chatting and then sl slipping back into a chair when I walked out from my office. And I went, that's not, that's not acceptable in my head. Yes. I just cannot believe myself. I, I'm so glad. I, I think <laughs> I can say I'm a different person now. And whoever yeah. I did that to, I apologize. And, but this is the thing, you know, it, I think it's one of the most um, ear dog, dog marked, you know, uh, yeah. pieces of the book. When I see my clients read and they take pictures, they, they always talk about this conflict averse one. And, you know, part of what I say to clients is imagine if, if this was just a regular conversation because part of the issue with a difficult conversation is we blow it up in our heads. We yeah. think it's more important than it is, but it, when you just approach it like a regular conversation, the darndest thing happens, Nina, they just respond like a regular conversation. You think, what was all the fuss about? Why did I sit on that for a week? And they didn't even notice. 
crazy, crazy. But the other thing I found is that if I learned exactly what to say, if I read up, Mm -hmm. here's a template on how to give constructive feedback on on a behaviour that you're not happy with, I went, oh, that's all I had to do. Yes. (laughs) See, I actually had an experience in the last month where I had to I was the exercise was write down your favorite boss and I wrote down the names of 12 and I went none of them were my favorite and they were all poor in some way and some had some redeeming qualities and I realized that my very first boss had given me feedback that I didn't deserve I did not deserve because I was 20 and I didn't know some uh, magical advanced sales uh, principle which is if if 50 people arrive in the room and no, if you've got chairs for 50 and 55 arrive, you're supposed to put up a full house sign and send the five people away. And because I didn't do that, I lost him money. And he was, he's, it's like, well, if that's business, I want nothing of it. (laughs) And I left, I left that role. It was just a part-time university role. I went, oh, I'll waitress. I'll do anything. (laughs) I don't want to work for that guy. But then I think I've taken on board the message is if you tell people what you think, they're going to leave and they're going to hate you. Oh, interesting. And I've actually healed that whole thing. It's Mm. really quite amazing. So Mm. we have to look back at was there a primary incident in your early career, early Mm. boss, that actually made you realise that if you speak up, the people will react poorly? I reacted yeah. badly, so I went. Well, if you can't, you can't, you can't say what you think because they'll react poorly. But anyway, we're, we're all getting more emotionally intelligent and growing our skills and learning what to say. We definitely are, and and that brings me to the second tie. You asked me about the, you know, the biggest one, and I couldn't choose one. Can't choose a favorite child, Nina. And there are twelve in the book, so that you know, the top one really is is the conflict avoider because it's a human thing. And I'd say close, close, close second would be command and control, the know-it-all. Mm. And, and that's just because it's so common. We get rewarded for knowing. We get rewarded for getting better at our job and being able to train and teach and tell other people what to do. That's how we get promoted when we become technically competent at stuff. And so it's really hard to let go of that and realize that the next piece of your leadership development, in fact, the higher up you go, the more you got to let go of what you know and the more you have to bring out what other people know. You need to move from command and control to coaching. That's right. And and it's very important that you give credit to other people. In fact, I believe the the, um, former President Reagan, he was famous for giving other people credit. He was famous for writing lots of thank you cards but a lot of presidents did that but apparently he would say oh no it wasn't me that was my secretary of defense or it was my what you know whatever you know whatever whatever were the roles and it's it takes a big person yes to to be so ego less that they'll give credit to other people but the response from the people that get the credit they will be loyal to you Yes, yes. And this is why, you know, in my coaching programs, when I'm both doing one-on-one coaching or running coaching skills for leaders programs, this is the biggest hurdle. The hurdle is always, how do I, how do I, how do I remove my instinct to share what I know? 
you know, to take the credit. I've worked so hard, oh. Nina, in my career to finally know what I know. I want you to know what I know. Right. And it's really hard to step out of that and say, actually, it's not about me. I want to hear what you know. And mm. if I don't know what your gap is, I don't know if what I'm telling you or training you is just telling you how to suck eggs or actually useful for your training gap. Well, as long as we have the goal of, of developing our, our wisdom and our decision-making, and, and that's our self-leadership, uh, the, the, the success and the ability to bring out the capability of others will automatically follow. So I, I really recommend this book. I, I got a great deal of joy reading it. And, uh, the, well, if you want to know all 12 types, you have to get the book. And, of course, what, they get it through Amazon or...? Yep. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. get it through my website, my name, AnnaLeeBundle.com. Um, That's right. And it'll be in the show notes. We'll have a link to that. Now, of course, you've got another book launched already. Yeah. Launched already. Yes, indeed. So I have, this is a pocket book, Nina, just a little bit, yeah. a little bitty baby one. You can see just to give you some perspective yeah. there. Some, some people will just be listening to it. So perfect. Uh, okay. So it's a, it's a teen, it's a, it's a pocket book. It's about yep. an hour's read and it's called When Men Lead Women, Navigating the Facts, Fears and Frustrations of Gender Equality as a Male Leader. Mm. And the reason I put this book together was because I run Women at Work workshops. And as part of that, those conversations, we always engage the managers and the executives. And so there's a lot of men involved in these programs that support mm. gender equality. And I had lots of conversations with men one-to-one in corridors or in my coaching saying things like, Annalie, you know, I really want to support this movement, but I'm not sure I really understand it. Or is it really that unfair? I mean, I work hard, they work hard. We both go for the same job. I get it. What's unfair about that? You know, so it's, it's and it's tricky. Men are really struggling with the reality of what's going on. So I wrote this book as a way to help them navigate these questions and concerns in a safe environment. That's lovely. Great. Well, we've sort of almost come to the uh, end of our uh, end of our d- conversation, which I, I, I'm sure the people are just riveted with uh, the wisdom and the insights that are coming out, Annalie. I guess, are you able to deliver globally through, you know, through online workshops, or are you mostly face to face, or how how do, how can people work with you? I have become mostly online, as I'm sure a lot of people have. We are only really now just going back to face-to-face. So absolutely, I am virtual. I do love me a bit of virtual. I'm pretty savvy with my with my Zoom skills uh, and my Teams. If you have to go Teams, I can do that. So right. absolutely, yes, I am available. And um, what, what book have you read recently that you think people could or should be reading? What inspires you? You know, I knew you were going to ask this question. I knew, I knew you would ask this question. And I have to say, there are too many. I have got a bunch on my Kindle, on my Audible, in my bookshelf arriving every day. And I'm probably reading about five books at once. <laughs> the good thing about Audible is you can listen while you're driving or while yes. you're you know, you know, commuting somewhere. And I've become a convert to the audiobook. So Me too, I, for yeah. that exact reason, for, for yeah. listening, all that sort of stuff. Um, but generally speaking one of my favorites is daring greatly um, from Brené Brown because to me it's around leadership on steroids based on authenticity and humanity everybody's talking about Brené Brown so uh, I, I, I would 
I have to get that onto my onto my audio book as well. Yeah, all right, I will. I will. Um, look, it's been delightful speaking with you, Anna Lee. I can see why you are L and D Professional of the Year. Uh, still, because they haven't announced the next one. <laughs> so exactly, another few one. days. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So uh, really a joy meeting with you and uh, talking about your book and your concept. So good luck with the future and uh, may you win many more awards. Thank you, Nina. I appreciate it. I've loved our conversation. This episode, we've been speaking with Annalie Blundell on the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. Thanks for listening. Until next time, see you then. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.